This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Well, just back from a fabulous weekend that was all about me. It's actually never all about me, so it was great to be invited to this event to speak about some of the subjects that are coming up on the show tonight. You know what? It's a little tiring having that much fun. Good evening. I am Maureen McGrath, and this is the Sunday Night Health Show, a show all about health, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, workplace And even, yes, 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 you heard it here, sexual health. That's the cue to put the children to bed because we always uncover what lies beneath the covers here on the Sunday Night Health Show. Listener discretion is advised. Do know that I have a passion in many areas of life, but one in particular is for evidence-based health information to guide you so that the life you lead is the best it can be. My aim is to provide you with up-to-date information, evidence-informed, so that you know there are options for treatment and know that not everything is going to work for everyone. However, keep in mind that this show is not a replacement for a visit to your doctor. Good evening, Andrew. How are you doing tonight? I tried putting Swiss chard in my salad and you know what? I'm pretty okay with that. <laughs> that was a mistake. Oh. I thought you don't like Swiss chard. No, mm. no, it's bitter, isn't it? Yeah. yeah I, I like also it. have raw kale in my salad, so I'm kind of the bitter central. Well, I was given some tips up there on them <laughs> at mm. the resort. I was given some tips up there. About kale? At the resort. No, about putting other things in your mouth. And I might actually uh, share those secrets a little bit later on in the program. It's still a little early. I putting things in my mouth. That sounds like fun. <laughs> what are you waiting for? Yeah, it was interesting. And the response was really interesting as well. Am I the only one that knows <laughs> Anyway, not anymore. At least no, no. I, at least I shared it with a uh, uh, hundred like-minded women. Sharing is caring. It certainly is, and we empower others when we share our stories. Mm-hmm. We are really going to be talking about people who are all about them all the time. And those are those sociopaths that cross our paths. Tina Cantrell, burnout preventer and coach, joins me to discuss. You know, life with a narcissist and the toxicity of gaslighting. Also, some of the old rules are not working for working women and how a movement has affected press coverage of sexual assault. Are you codependent in your relationship? Well, what is that about and how do you change that? How do you know you are codependent? And also, getting a little medical here, osteoporosis is not just a disease for women. It is also something that men need to think about. We're also going to be legalizing cannabis in this country starting Wednesday. And looks like everybody, from potentially the family pet to grandma, is going to be... uh, Next week, by this, by the time we do the show next week, uh, all of the, uh, as Drex, who comes up after us, would like to say, all of the fair weather fans who might be, <laughs> ha- will have tried it. They will. We'll have lots of stories. We'll see a surge, an upsurge in the emergency room visits, potentially. Mm-hmm. Veterinarians are concerned because, uh, you know, likely, you know, dogs eat everything. You yep. know, animals put things in their mouths, as do children do. And so the gummy bears are, are a big concern. There was a the- story recently about that, too. Yes, there certainly was. And, you know, edibles aren't. Um, even legal at this yep, stage, right? But, but people are still, you, you can't, you can make all the laws you want in the world, but if you can't police them, not to mention, I just realized this week over probably hearing, uh, seeing tweets from Drex and Linda Steele and Jody Vance and everybody here at the station that, um, that police and RCMP actually have a 28 day ban. They actually can't mm-hmm. use cannabis for 28 days before they go in. I'm like, Oh my gosh, RCMPs <laughs> smoke pot? I, am I naive? Call me naive, please. Go ahead. 
Uh, just a bit naive. <laughs> I can't believe that. And then, then I saw something on Twitter today from a doctor, a doctor that I respect incredibly well, Gurdip Parhar. And a uh, little shout out there to my friend and colleague. Uh, and he was saying that the police actually, you know, are going to have to abstain for 28 days beforehand. And I'm just like, really? I, I, is, is anybody sober in this country? <laughs> I have to ask that question. Is anyone not high at this minute? I'm sure there's at least one person in Canada who is not high right now. <laughs> I'm willing to put money on that. Me. Well, okay, <laughs> what does that say you. about me? <laughs> hopefully you. I am totally sober. <laughs> Unless... You count coffee as a stimulant, then I guess I'm not. Some people do. Unless you count chocolate, then I'm right with you. So I just had a bunch of M&Ms for dinner. That's uh, a good dinner. I like peanut that. Peanut M&Ms. salad with Swiss chard and kale. It My certainly God. is. You know, I'm happy with chocolate for dinner. <laughs> No problem. <laughs> Love it. So getting back to what else we're going to be talking about. So, you know, cannabis is going to be a treatment option for uh, older people who have, because they suffer a lot of pain conditions and sleep issues and anxiety. And so, you know, things are going to be calming down here in this country. Also, what about sex after baby? Does sex actually ap- happen after baby? I've, I've got a great email um, from a woman. I don't know if it's too early to read it in the show, but it caused me to put a muzzle in my little bag of tricks <laughs> this weekend okay. when I was educating women about sex. So what's normal? What's not? Also, this is one of my favorite subjects. I love this. It's based on a book called The Inner Lover, Using Passion as a Way to Self-Empowerment. And so we're going to be talking about how you can tap in to your inner lover so that you can actually... Uh, succeed in life so that you can, it's a bit more of a focus on you. Uh, We're talking a little bit about infidelity as well. I know there's a guy in Edmonton who gets upset whenever I mention infidelity because he thinks I'm promoting it and I'm actually not, Uh, but it does occur. And interesting when I I had a, you you know how I have that declutter happening in my house, Mm -hmm. Andrew? Well, she found, still got her. There we go. (laughs) Couple more rooms. That's it. (laughs) We should be good to go. By Wednesday, cannabis is legal. It should go a lot slower. Anyway, uh, So she found a book in my um, room and it was When Good Men Cheat. And she said, oh, that was my ex-husband. And I said, oh, what was what was happening in the relationship? And she's like, oh, are you blaming me? He's the one who cheated. And it's like, you know what? If you have troubles in your relationship, you can drink, you might buy shoes, you might go out a lot more with your friends, or you might have an extramarital affair or cheat or go online micro cheating. And so it's really reflective of what's going on in the relationship. And it's not necessarily that you're not having, you know what in the relationship, because a lot of women experience that, but you'll find, I'm going to uncover some things tonight. You'll find there's some, there might be some other issues that you're not aware of, especially those below the belt issues for women. We're going to be talking about incontinence, painful sex, vulvodynia, and how electromagnotherapy and radio frequency might help you. Also why younger men like older women. Um, also, if you have any questions, give me a call. The number to call is 1-877-399-9898. 1-877-399-9898. Email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com. Text me, 604-449-8459. If you never want to miss this show, head on over to iTunes, Maureen McGrath, and subscribe, or better yet, make a comment about it. Try and be nice if you can. And um, I want to say that Tina Cantrell joins me after the break. She's a burnout preventer and coach, and we're talking about 
gaslighting of sociopaths, whether you marry them or not. And the only song that comes to mind for me on that is She's Come Undone. Right? She didn't know what she was headed for. And that is what we're going to be talking about when I come back from the break. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath, registered nurse, nurse continence advisor, sexual health educator, hosting this program for you live as I do every Sunday night on the Chorus Radio Network. After decades as a senior executive in Fortune 500s, Tina Cantrell became a professional coach, writer, and speaker who specializes in working with professional people who are struggling to get their lives back on track after living through personal or professional psychological abuse. She guides them through the anxiety, the burnout, the self-doubt, and gets them back to self-confidence, self-belief, and success. She is a professional coach, NLP practitioner, and cognitive behavioral therapy practitioner. I, I bona fide burnout preventer, preventer and coach, and she is on the line to talk about gaslighting. Good evening, Tina. How are you? I'm very well, Maureen. Great to be here. Oh, thanks so much for joining me. So this is a subject that is near and dear to my heart. I have been a target of a sociopath who tried to gaslight me. Uh, I, I, of course, I've read your fabulous blog posts about about it on LinkedIn and, and can relate. But um, let's just start with you as the professional. You understand this intimately. What is gaslighting? So gaslighting is actually a form of emotional abuse where the abuser gets people to question their sense of reality. So basically, they just they spin you around, turn you on your head, so you don't really know what's real and what isn't. And you just start to question, you question your sanity. And that's exactly what they want you to do. They get you to a position where you don't really know what's up and what's down. Now, I experienced that in the workplace, um, but many people can actually marry uh, somebody who is adept at gaslighting. Is that correct? Yes, they can, and I did just that. Did you now? (laughs) How coincidental. (laughs) Yeah, really, yeah. So I actually married a psychopath, obviously. Well, I didn't know he was a psychopath when I married him, but um, I married a psychopath. He was a senior military officer. He was charming. He was all the things that psychopaths do at the beginning and spent the next 10 years gaslighting me. And um, it can happen to anybody and that's one thing I would say that people feel I certainly felt very ashamed you think it's your fault but you know for years I kept saying how can this happen to me I'm an educated woman but my only fault was that I'm a kind caring thoughtful person with a conscience and anybody who falls into that category could indeed be a target that's the thing those I mean you know I I lean toward that way as well. You know, I, I'm, uh, I'm not as nice as I used to be as a result of, <laughs> I, I had to toughen Maybe up I'm not either. and I had to be a little, start, learn how to be a little meaner actually. But my go-to, my nature is nice and helpful and kind and easy, you know, like I want everybody to be happy basically. So, so you mentioned a little bit about at the beginning, he was charming. Is that a characteristic of uh, psychopaths or sociopaths? Well, very much so. When um, all of the above, when they first uh, meet their targets, when a sociopath, psychopath, and narcissist, and I'll, I'll just put them all under the heading of psychopath. Mm-hmm. When they first meet their target, they are extremely charming. Um, they're usually very articulate, usually quite bright, educated, charming. And they make you feel like you are the most important person in their world. So if it's a relationship, 
They'll put you on a pedestal. They'll buy you gifts. They'll take you on holidays. They tell you they've never felt like this before, that you're their soulmate. Uh, They ask you not to go out with your friends because they can't bear being apart from you. And of course, all of that is done to isolate you. In a work environment, it looks very similar, but they will tell you how fantastic your work is. They'll put you on a pedestal at work. They'll tell everybody how great your work is. They'll ask you to go for drinks, for lunch. They'll tell you little secrets. So they really make you feel that you are somebody incredibly special and valuable. So that can feel pretty good when it first starts out. And it's very easy to fall into that, uh, that seduction of a narcissist. Right, because they effectively lure you in. And so in my case, embarrassingly enough as it is, shows you the level of my self-esteem perhaps, um, I was given a job for which I wasn't qualified. And like it was this, you know, I don't really care about titles at all, but it was sort of this blown up title that, um, you know, I didn't have the background for that. I have background, you know, it's decent background, but I didn't have that. So they sort of lure you in. You think, hey, oh, if I'm, they think I have this, then I might, oh, that's pretty good. Mine didn't last 10 years. It was a working relationship and it lasted about eight weeks and I had 86 incidents of, um, of abuse in the workplace. Good Lord. So they, um, and you know, the other thing I wanted to say is you, you, they isolate you and, and so therefore you think you're the only one and then you learn, I learned in my case that my bully, sociopath, whatever he was, and I want to ask you why they do this, he had had 22 women before me that I found out about that he had done the exact same thing to. You could, put a, you could have put all of us behind a curtain, and he was exactly the same. Lured them in with this great contract work, you know, this fabulous, which I do, um, you know, really overpraised you, you know, gave you all the bells and whistles in terms of the working environment, and then boom, what happened next? So what happens next? <laughs> <laughs> what happens next? So these people, they're they're all about power, dominance, and control. That's the only reason they do all of this is to gain power over people. They actually get a kick out of it. They don't have a conscience. That's the first thing I will say. So anything that we would think was wrong and inappropriate, and we would never do this because we have a conscience, but they don't. So it's a very structured, very um, deliberate approach to pulling people in. So they start with seduction, and then after they've seduced you, they then go on to what I call disruption. So then they start to plant the seeds of doubt or they get you to do it for yourself. So they'll do crazy things if you're working with them, like they'll book a meeting and swear blind that you're invited when you don't turn up. Right. And you know you weren't, but they're convi- they try to convince you that you were. Or they'll tell you that they're very concerned because you're behind on a project when they ask you to finish it a week earlier and you know the deadline was a week later. So they they hide in plain sight and they just they bank on the fact that people with a conscience like us overlay their behavior with our conscience. So we do things, we say things like, uh, well, nobody would ever do that on purpose. So obviously it was it was a mistake or it was an oversight. But then we start to think that we're the ones that are going crazy. And this is how they start to disrupt you. Um, they will do things like if you walk into a room, they'll be whispering or talking quietly to somebody. And the second you walk in, they'll stop talking and walk away. <laughs> so immediately you think that they're talking about you. I have to so say, just- this guy was crazy. And I, <laughs> I could see he was crazy. But one thing he did to me was he said, let's just pretend for, you know, um, pretend the meeting that we were having a meeting about one of my favorite things in life, the womanizer. (laughs) So he said, so we have this meeting and he says, (laughs) um, oh, you know, everyone's going to update, you know, 
Adam's going to update on the, you know, the science and, you know, Joey is going to update on the legal. And don't worry, uh, Maureen, you're not going to have to present on the womanizer. Okay, so what do you do? You don't prepare for the meeting. So you go to the meeting and you're sitting with 10, 15 of your colleagues. And the first thing out of his mouth is, can you give us an update on the womanizer? That is a classic example. Classic. Is that not classic? But I have a question. Why don't they have a conscience? Did something happen to them? So there are different theories on this, but the prevailing theory is that sociopaths, psychopaths, whatever you want to call them, they're born. They're just born without this conscience. So that the part of their brain that makes us have emotions and conscience and feelings, that it just doesn't work properly. So they just don't have this conscience and uh, they're not aware of it in early life. Uh, they, they kind of know that they're different. But as they progress through life, they learn behaviors. So they learn how they're supposed to behave. They learn how they're supposed to to look if they care for people and they're thoughtful. So uh. one of the, uh, the worst things you can do with a psychopath is put them into therapy. Because therapy asks, how do you feel about that? And what they end up doing is kind of saying, well, how am I supposed to feel about right, that? Right, right. And so, so the they reason learn. They They learn. And the reason they seek out people like you and me and anybody who's caring is because they can see from us how they're supposed to interact with others. So they learn from that behavior and they mirror that and they use that to lure other people in. Yeah, exactly. And they can do brain damage. Speaking of brain damage, they can do brain damage to their victims. Fortunately, that didn't happen um, to me and to you. So that was great because the hippocampus can actually shrink um, for people who are targets um, like this. But um, I'm going to ask you to stay on the line if you don't mind. I find this incredibly interesting. (laughs) And uh, and so we can chat a little bit more about, um, you know, how they uh, what what's the next phase of gaslighting and um, and perhaps, you know, how people can recognize it and what they can do about it. So um, it's a very interesting subject. It happens to a, a lot of people. And I just want to put a little public service announcement out there for all of you narcissists, psychopaths, sociopaths who think you can lure me in. <laughs> no more. <laughs> Not a chance. Are you kidding me? I've had like three of them in my life. Okay. And so that is enough. <laughs> and so no more. So you have been warned and I am Maureen McGrath and you're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. We're talking about gaslighting and also, you know, just living with or working with psychopaths who often gaslight or try to make you crazy when they're actually the crazy ones. This is a very serious situation, and I have Tina Cantrell on the line with me. She's worked with Fortune 500 companies, and she's a burnout coach for executives, so this can happen to anybody. But if you have a question at all for my guest or for me, one 399 that's one eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight because it's very serious. If it's happening to you at work, there are things that you can do. So I hope you're you're listening. One of the women that I worked with who had also been a target of my um, bully, my sociopath, my psychopath, um, actually became suicidal. So that's not an uncommon. Um, feeling because it is so crazy making. It can lead to anxiety and depression and even thoughts of suicide. Tina, thanks so much for staying on the line with me. We're My ta- pleasure. We're talking about the different stages. So we, we had the seduction stage or the Lauren stage. And then you talked about the disruptive stage where they try to disrupt you. And then what's the third stage? 
So the third stage is the manipulation. So this is all that hard work that they put in at the beginning. This is where they want to get you. So this is where they they start to manipulate you to do whatever it is that they want you to do. Um, They will take credit for your work. They will um, just totally change your life and get you to do whatever it is that they want you to do. And you really feel powerless to do anything about it. And they spend quite a lot of time getting you to this point. But once you're at this point, you really do feel somewhat helpless. And what you were just saying about the suicidal feelings, the depression, the anxiety, that's really where this starts. Because you start to realize at this point what's happening. But now your self-confidence, your self-esteem, your self-belief is gone. So you really feel completely helpless to do anything about it. So this is probably the most dangerous stage in the whole process. And you become a little bit paranoid um, as well during this. And so when I had my um, experience, I decided to document it. And and so I didn't document it on my computer. It happened to be a work computer that I kept after I left there. <laughs> That's the only thing you can do. They tried to get it back too. But anyway, um, I documented it. I would just come home and I would just, I had this notebook and I just hand wrote just exactly what happened that day, the incidents that had occurred. And, and I ended up with, you know, 86 incidents or 86 pages, like, I mean, a novel, basically. That's fantastic uh, that you had the wherewithal to do that, Maureen, because a lot of people don't at this point. So the fact that you wrote everything down is actually one of the things I suggest people do. Write everything down and don't do it on your work computer. You're absolutely right. Yeah, the lawyers loved me. They were they were dying yeah. to get their hands on that little journal. I don't even think they read it. But the other thing that's important is the um, the date to date and, and time stamp it basically. So as to absolutely. and where you were, exactly where you were. Um, so, you know, paying attention to those details can matter. And I often say to people who are experiencing workplace bullying or sexual harassment or anything that can occur so commonly that we've uncovered with the Me Too movement, write it down and, you know, details and they'll say, oh, I don't know what to say. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not a good writer. And it's like, that's, nor am I. You just write down what happened and, you know, so that it can jog your memory as to, you know, what had occurred to you because it is, you can get very sick. You can lose your hair, lose weight, which I didn't really mind the losing weight part, but the heart palpitations <laughs> bothered me, the fatigue, the stress. You know, you have to leave your job as well. I mean, that's the only, is there anything else you can do besides leave your job? Uh, no. Quite no. <laughs> honestly, that's a simple answer. <laughs> the, um, the safest thing for you to do is leave your job. Now, other people may tell you, try and stay there, try and get reposted, try and move somewhere else. But one of the first places that people go when they realize what's going on is human resources, understandably. But that is actually the last place you should be going because I guarantee your gaslighter has already been there and told them that you're <laughs> having performance issues or that you're, you're going crazy and they will make sure they've got witnesses to attest to that. So do not go to HR. I would absolutely I, recommend against that. You know, I have to agree with you having, you know, dealt with HRs in different companies. You know, they're interested in hiring and firing, the sexy stuff. They're not interested in this, you know, and they're working for the company. So they don't really, it, this right. is messy and they don't want to get involved in this. And they'll often, you know, say, you know, they'll tell other 
colleagues not to speak to you. You know, I've heard so many different. I, I have a, a friend who's experiencing or had experienced, um, you know, gaslighting in the operating or sexual harassment and, and gaslighting in the operating room. And, you know, here's patients' lives are at risk. There's patients on the table and here's a surgeon who's pressing his penis up against her, you know, during surgery. And um, and so HR was of absolutely no help. And I, and I, and I think it's a great career for somebody who actually wants to focus in on workplace bullying and sexual harassment, especially in this time of Me Too. Um, so you're married to somebody that, and such was the case with you, and did you feel like you were losing your mind? I did. I felt as though I was losing my mind uh, towards the end of the marriage. Um, I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it, which is exactly what they want to happen. So in the end, I just knew I had to get out. And once I found out what he was, then I was very reassured that I wasn't losing my mind. And uh, that's when things got better, of course. And I started to uh, start the process of divorce, which was fun. Right. But um, that took four and a half years to divorce him and um, (laughs) a significant amount of money. I would recommend against it. Well, they don't actually, you have your soul. You may not have any money, but you have your soul. There's there's no price for that, right? Um, But they actually don't, the last thing they want to happen to them is to be found out. Am I correct? Absolutely. They will do everything they can to hide. And uh, the one thing that you ask what else you can do, one of the things you can do, and definitely not in public, is expose them. Because they work in this uh, cloak of invisibility. That's what they bank on happening, that they're, they're hiding in plain sight. If you can identify what's happening, if you can actually say to a sociopath or a psychopath, I know what you're doing and you need to stop. But if you just do that in private, just the fact that you've exposed the behavior can often be enough to stop them. Really? Now, it, yeah, it can be enough to stop them. Now, it won't make your life um, easier in the long run because they've already isolated you and turned you on your head and they've done all the crazy making stuff. You still need to get out and get away. But right. it can give you the breathing space you need to think clearly to do that. But never do that in public. Because wow. if you do it in public, they'll turn on you even more. Yeah. Now, there are a lot of women in this country and in, and in the U.S. who have signed uh, settlement agreements with their um, bullies or their sexual harassers. How do you feel about se- uh, which settlements silence women? You know, there's not a woman that has received a settlement that actually said it was about the money. The money did not make anybody feel better. The money silenced them. And I don't think we realize that in this patriarchal world in which we live with covert oppression. <laughs> I love men. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Um, but uh, how do you feel in this age of Me Too for people who have signed settlement agreements that have agreed not to expose the behavior of these um, sociopaths? Well, I don't really support that. And I don't support it because in the long run, it doesn't make you feel any better. It's not... It's not something that you feel comfortable with or that you feel as though you can move on from because really the situation is exactly the same. They still got what they wanted. They're still hidden. The behavior is still hidden and you're still carrying it around on your shoulders. Right. But but so, you know how you have to sign the lawyers get you to sign. The lawyers are in each other's back pockets too on that deal. I, I did learn that. And they're just like, you know, they, they came to a particular agreement on, you know, and they do that, you know, what's going to work um, for each, you know, for each of them. And, um, and after they've thought about your case while they're on the toilet and then they charge you 700 bucks for that. But anyway, aside from that, um, or or $700 a word, but you know, they charge by the word as well, but 
nonetheless. So they know they have the kind of their, um, you know, their tipping point or whatever, you know, their, their breaking point. But then they have you take the money and settle. And then so but now Me Too has exposed all of these uh, horrible individual and institutional practices. Is this an opportunity for women who have signed settlement agreements to say, hey, this is what this guy does at that company. And this is what he's done to 22 women before. I mean, depending on the conditions of your settlement agreement, mm-hmm. obviously, if there's no gag order in your settlement agreement, then well, absolutely. They, have, I mean, they all have gag orders. That's the thing. <laughs> and that's why I don't particularly agree with them. Uh, yeah, I don't either. I think it's, it's so important to expose this kind of behavior. And while there are no statistics that say it's more common amongst men to women, it is. I mean, the majority of the people that I deal with are women who've been bullied and oh, wow. uh, targeted by men. I've had a couple of men I've worked with, but it is almost exclusively women who've been targeted in the workplace and not sexual harassment. It's more just the, the mental abuse. So, no, I don't really I don't really believe that silencing is a good way to go, although yeah. that's what the sociopaths want. Yeah. And, and actually, some of the lawyers themselves are sociopaths. But... <laughs> Speaking out. <laughs> you said that, not me. I just said they charge by the word. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing, more. <laughs> but no, I would much rather, and I know it's hard. I've been there, so I know how hard this is. And I should also say I did get gaslighted at work too. So right. I left my job because of it. So I've experienced it personally. Yeah. I've experienced it professionally. And um, it's very, very difficult to have the courage to stand up and say, this happened to me, and this absolutely has to stop. Right. And that's exactly what I'm here for. Yeah. Well, you sound great. You know, you sound like you have, um, you know, good mental health, sound mental health. You're helping other people. And that's one of the greatest gifts that I got was that I understand this uh, implicitly and I can help other people in our nice way, right? Like, that's what we're all about. We want to be kind to others. And and so many people experience this. Thanks for all the great information, Tina. And and appreciate all of your writings. Where's the best place? Um, I know you've posted on LinkedIn um, the information about gaslighting. Is that the place, the best place to go for now, or how can people contact you? The people can contact me by email if they want to email me directly, and it is confidential at uh, Tina at Tina Cantrell. That's T I N A C A N T R I L L dot com. So Tina at Tina Cantrell dot com, or you can call me directly at six one three seven nine five. 6324. Completely confidential. And if I can help anybody, I would be more than happy to. Anybody but the psychopaths can call you. Thanks anybody so much, Tina. Them. Yes, I'm Maureen <laughs> McGrath. You, Maureen. You're welcome. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program. Honestly, you can call me. We'll talk. Don't be afraid because of what I might have said on the program. I can't be held accountable. <laughs> I'm not a sociopath. I'm Maureen McGrath, and uh, I'm going to answer some of your emails. I'm going to talk a little bit about the workplace. The, the thing about events, when I go to events, it's so great because you get energized by the other people. And, you know, often when they're uh, women, you hear about their lives and, and the struggles with which they are dealing on a daily basis. And some of them have to do with work. Um, but first, I wanted to address this uh, email because I just love it. Anyway, um, dear Maureen, we love your show. Uh And we love each other, but not enough, I should say. Our marriage is sexless. We are less connected than ever before. It's been a while. I'm too embarrassed to tell you just how long. Although I know my husband would never cheat, I do find him staying at the office longer. He works with a lot of women. And it made me think of those poor women whose husbands have cheated. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think it's important we get our rhythm back. Can you help, please? First of all, uh, if any human is capable of cheating, you just don't know what is going to actually tip them over. Uh, to that. There are no cheating people. Let me say that first. No one is a cheater. But just as in a relationship, if you're having troubles, you can, you know, excessively shop. All of a sudden the closet is filled with shoes or maybe you're downing a a gallon of ice cream. Uh, Maybe that's your way of dealing with it. Uh, Or, um, you know, sometimes it's an affair and it can often be a sign of troubles in the marriage. And it doesn't necessarily have to do with sex. And, you know, this is a sign. This is a bit of a red flag that the husband is staying a little bit longer at the office because perhaps he's met an inner lover. We're going to go through that a little bit later, which is the safest thing that he could do. Or perhaps he is, um, you know, uh, connecting emotionally with somebody that he works with, but it is certainly the risk of a sexless marriage. But but a lot of women, when I say that, um, that, you know, well, what's going on? And, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not the first person that's going to say, oh, because men and women cheat. So first of all, I'm not going to say, oh, she's horrible or he's a scoundrel. I'm, I'm never going to go there. Because to me, it's just like, okay, well, what was going on there? You know, like, how did you break your knee? Were you skiing too fast or was it icy? You know, what what were the conditions? And there are certainly conditions in a marriage or a relationship that can lead to that. And so certainly people should not be shamed for it, but rather you should look within and see what the issues are. And I was talking to a woman a woman this uh, weekend, and she had said that uh, she had finally split up with her husband because he had cheated several times, that it, and I think it was about four times, and I'm just going to put in parentheses, that she knew about. <laughs> but anyway, she said, you know, we were having, because everyone associates me with the sexless marriage thing, so that she's like, but we were having sex. We were having tons of sex. And so it's not just always about the sex. So as I delve further into what may have been a contributing factor, you know, there were some, there were some behaviors that he had that anger, resentment, um, the uh, putting her down. Uh, he was kind of bravado. He had a lot of drinking friends. In fact, all, all of his friends were drinking friends. And so because he was successful, she didn't believe him to have, a, to, and she kept saying, he's not, an, oh no, I don't think he's an alcoholic, but he had rage issues and he blamed her for everything and he was unreliable and he was unpredictable. And so as we delve deeper into this, and when we started this conversation, she actually was crying. Uh, you know, she had tears in her eyes and she was crying and she was so ashamed. And she said, every time I begged him to come back and he's come back. And, and this time I begged him to come back, but he's got, he's now got a girlfriend. I'm thinking, why are you begging him to come back in that condition? You know, and at the same time, somebody else said to me, you mentioned in your talk that sex is about power. Everything in the world is related to sex except for sex. Sex is about power. She said, what does that mean? And so she too had issues in her relationship. And it's, it's, a, it's this constant power exchange back and forth in a relationship. If, if you know you can have them, you kind of don't treat them as, as well as you would. If you're thinking you're going to lose them, you know, and so we're, we're constantly, you know, gauging that balance. And, um, and so this woman realized that, hey, you know, maybe the problem wasn't with her, the one whose husband that she realized was, um, you know, 
you know, every single instance where she found him cheating, he had been drinking. Uh, she, she described a situation where uh, they had a sailboat and they had, of course, if you're a boater at all, you know that, you know, acrylic glasses are, are what you bring on board. And so she noticed that his acrylic glass had actually started to deteriorate uh, because he drank scotch or rum out of it. And so she was thinking, wow, this glass isn't really that good quality. But (laughs) I'm thinking, well, he's really poured into that. He's really used that glass quite a bit. And so it gave her a different perspective. It also lifted her. And then it really lifted her when I told her about inner lovers. And I'm going to talk about inner lovers in the second half of the program. So, you know, there's always this power shift in a relationship. We also have that in the workplace. Uh, We Women have made clear gains in so many aspects of society. But the workplace is one place where we haven't. And one of the women, too, at the conference, she was talking about her ex-husband. And, you know, some people would love an ex-husband. But anyway, <laughs> um, so you have to look on the bright side sometimes. But uh, she said that although the two of them did the exact same kind of work, she had to work 10 times as hard to make almost as much as he did. The number of female chief executives in Fortune 500 companies is 5%. And that has declined by 25% in the last year. And this is a study that was done by the British Equality and Human Rights Commission. Uh, although Although women receive more college degrees uh, and a more advanced degrees, they still must work four more months to earn what their white male colleagues earned the year before, according to U.S. Census data. Women of color must work even longer. And then with the rise of the Me Too movement, we saw, as we've never seen before, all the sexual pressure that women put up with in the workplace. And at least one study has found that 81% of women say they have experienced some form of sexual harassment. It's terrible out there, ladies, and I'm not sure what we're going to do about it, but one thing I think we need to do, women need to band together. Women need to actually help one another. I do think that's a problem. We don't have the that sisterhood that the guys have. The guys have this brotherhood thing going on, and we don't really have that because we can tear each other down, and we can gossip, and we can, you know, be less than considerate, and, and a lot of women who've risen to the top and have had to become aggressive in order to do that, they feel that the, the young need to actually go through what they've gone through. So there's a lot of work we women need to do to actually improve the conditions in the workplace as well for us. So, and you know what? McKinsey did a survey, and if we had more women in the workplace, the gross national product in the U.S. would increase by 26% if we had true gender equality. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show on the Chorus Radio Network. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.